volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello and welcome to the final episode of season five of Sal Sylvester on the future of leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host, founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado, helping leaders create healthy, aligned and more human workplaces. I'm thrilled to have you join us today. It's hard to believe this is our final episode of season five. And today we have a very different format than what we've done all season, and I think you're going to like it. Season five was focused on how we can create a more deeply human workplace, and we explored a number of topics such as human needs, happiness at work, conscious capitalism, executive presence and creating connection in a virtual world, psychological safety with Amy Edmondson, and more. Because the more we can tap into our humanity, the more we can leverage our greatest gift as humans, which is our adaptability. So today is a best of episode as we close out the season. You'll hear from some of the best clips from all of our episodes this season and even some bonus questions that I asked guests that didn't air in the original episode. All right, let's jump into the best of episodes now with our season five guests. In our first episode of the season, I spoke with Jan Jenkins, one of our top executive coaches at 512 Solutions, and Jan interviewed me. It was a really fun episode, and we talked about the six key needs that all humans have at work, and if we can tap into those needs, we can create a healthy and aligned organizational culture. Your latest book, A Deeply Human Workplace, has has touched me and so many others. I've shared it. With my clients, they've shared it within their organizations, and it struck us to a deep chord. What's interesting to me, having read your other books, is that this one seems for you to have really connected on a personal level, more so. And I'm curious about your journey from creating the model, the six C's of human workplace needs, to deciding or choosing. So I started noticing some patterns of people's behavior across all of our work with our clients, across geography, across demographic, across gender, across any number of dimensions around what people need. And so I started playing around with this idea of, hmm, I wonder if there's a hierarchy. And of course, you know, we all have been somehow touched by Abraham Maslow's work in his concept of the hierarchy of needs, which he developed in 1943, and it helped us appreciate human growth and motivation. And so I think in some research and work that I started doing, I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a hierarchy of needs that people have specifically at work. And so I built the model and the model 
changed and I iterated on it over the course of several years. I actually built the model before COVID and started to use it with clients in some of our leading change workshops and got some good reactions. And then it really occurred to me that the model could be applied toward creating a healthy and aligned team dynamic and even organizational culture. And so I started to use it and get feedback from clients in the field. And then as soon as I had some validation and made some refinements, then I said, okay, this is going to be a book. And my philosophy around writing books, as you've probably seen, all my books are pretty short, is I want to give people something quick that they can tangibly read in two or three hours and then start applying in the workplace. And, and that's, that's really how the journey has started. And for me, this has been really a vision of uh, helping teams and organizations create a healthy, aligned, and more human workplace culture. And that vision has ultimately become my mission. And I think tapping into people's needs can really help us work through some of the complexity that we have in our world today. Our lives were turned upside down. You know, many of us found ourselves working from home and kids are in the dining room doing gym class, at least in my household. And other people were taking care of elderly people. And all of a sudden, the social distancing thing impacts every aspect of our lives. There were so many elements that were just raw human elements. And that's where I think the model became very real for me. I'm sure you experienced this as well. There are so many times I've been on a coaching call or working with a client, a CEO of a company, and his or her child comes in and brings them lunch in the middle of a conversation. I've met more kids, cats, dogs, partners, <laughs> and there's something very human about that. When we remove people, we extract people from the corporate office or the boardroom and see who they really are as people. And that's where the idea of humanity in the workplace, the model that existed before, it just became so much more real for me and for, for other people as we went through COVID. In our second episode, I met with Luis Gallardo, the founder of the World Happiness Foundation. I love this interview. We talked about how to pursue happiness at work. Discover it. Is happiness is in you. If that's the case, then how do you find it? How do you remember it? And one way, fundamental way, research and proven that it's and a very important route is purpose and is meaning. So the moment that you have meaning and purpose, that's complete activator that activates your overall happiness. So that's a key activator. There are many activators, but meaning and purpose is probably one of the top ones. I just released a book called The Deeply Human Workplace back in February. And, and, and it's a pyramid of needs that we believe all humans have. And at the top of that pyramid, we call community impact. And it's, it's really that. It's about finding meaning and purpose and contributing back to something bigger than yourself, whether it's your team members at work or your local community or something more global. There are five elements that really are critical to overall happiness. There are more than 12, 14 elements, but there are five that are critical. Two of them are basic needs. Yeah. Two of them, and that's the same in life. I mean, if you don't have your basic needs, needs covered, if you don't have food to eat every day, if you don't have the right conditions for you to flourish, 
it's going to be much harder for you than it's for somebody else to achieve the optimal or the, the specific level of happiness that you are achieving. So I think at work, there are two elements that are basic needs is how much you make. So if you're not making enough money, what is your payroll? What is your compensation? If you are not satisfied with that, it's very difficult that anything else plays out. And the second key basic element is that you feel appreciated at work. Mm. Is that, that you feel that you are contributing and you feel that appreciation. So appreciation and compensation are basic needs. Yeah. If they don't, if they are not on the table, the rest of the opportunity really minimizes. When we have those two, we jump into higher states. And those higher states are around purpose and meaning. Is your purpose, personal purpose and meaning is aligned with the company. You find it in the work that you do. The second one is the energy that the job brings you. Is this a job that really energizes me every day when I'm there or not? And then the third one, critical one, is belonging. Mm. Is the sense that you belong. That's what, we, what you were mentioning around being more than oneself. You can only be feeling that you are more than yourself when you belong to a higher purpose. So the higher purpose and the belonging is critical. So those five elements really determine. In our third episode, we focused on executive presence to drive connection and credibility in a hybrid and, and virtual world. My incredible guest was Rosemary Ravenal, a former international media expert and broadcaster with more than three decades of corporate communications experience. What are you noticing in terms of how the virtual world, how this being on camera has impacted our ability to create a human workplace? That's still something we are navigating. I wish we yeah. could say that after three years, Sal, that we got it. We, yeah, we, we don't. don't. <laughs> We're still and, learning. And I am time after time, sometimes jaw-droppingly surprised at how people are showing up. Yeah. So I, I do workshops, public workshops and small team uh, trainings, and I am still surprised when someone shows up without video on or shows up looking terrible and expects to be taken seriously. Yeah. And this could be someone who was leading the meeting or whose voice has a great deal of influence on how the meeting will run or on the outcome of the meeting. Whether you're leading a meeting, you're a panelist, you are a, an opinion shaper, or you're simply mm -hmm. a passive participant, you need to show up. You need to show up at your best. And at this point in time, in mid-2022, we've had enough time to get it right. The acronym is ASSETS, A-S-S-E-T. Simply put, the A is for appearance. You need to show up looking professional. Right. And, and that doesn't have to be you know, suit and tie uh, or, or full makeup and hair and, and, and such for, for, for women. Whatever your business attire is, mm -hmm. it is, it is simply looking as if you were going to the office or to your workplace or to the, if you visit, uh, you do sales calls, whatever that is. 
it's, it's simply a matter of self-respect and it's respect for mm-hmm. the people at the other end because you're dealing with someone who needs to look and play the role that you are accustomed to playing, right? right. You're not going to be you know, wearing a bathrobe when you're supposed to be an attorney. Mm-hmm. And then the other two S's are staging and styling, which is something that people still don't get. Meaning, I have a background that is natural, but it says something about who I am in terms of having uh, textiles and hand uh, hand uh, woven a tapestry yes. on the wall and yes. sunflowers, which has become rather a symbol for me because it's a it's a it's a it's a flower that follows the sun that is a symbol of energy and many many other reasons. And so I have I'm framed in a specific way with professional lighting because I owe it to the people who want to listen to me or watch me to be at my best. The visual language, Sal, in this medium, and I can't emphasize this enough, our minds process data 90% visual versus 10% auditory. Mm that's not something i i made up it's it's neuroscience so right. we are visual our minds are wired to process visual information nine to one so if you're not showing up as your best or at least using to the best of your ability just everyone has limitations you may be sharing a space with someone else or children you may not have much privacy but there are many things that people can do just with a little thoughtfulness to improve the way they show up so it's just a matter of that staging and styling is so important. The other one, the E, is energy and emotion. Very important. How do we transmit energy, which in turn taps into the emotional center of connection? The, you know, we know that the heart is the best and most direct way to the brain. And then the last one is the technology, is the T. And the T is important because we have to have fundamental knowledge as to how to start a call, how to work our microphone, how to mute, how to put the camera on, how to connect a call, how to whatever platform you use, WebEx, GoToMeeting, Zoom, and know which buttons to click and how Mm -hmm. to, how to do the basics, right? And, and at least be able to, you know, to, 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 to manage conversations or, or find someone if you have a staff or others in your organization who are more skilled or motivated to the as to the tech part, bring them on to help you with a call. But so the technology is very important. David Wetton joined us in the fourth episode of the season to talk about conscious leadership to help drive both results and relationships. Yeah. And so I'm also looking at the diagram as we're chatting and and at the top of it, taking time to ground yourself. How do you do that as a leader? Do you start your day off with chaos and get up and trying to get the kids out the door to school and get breakfast and responding to emails? Or are you starting with some intentionality? What does the grounding aspect of your life look like? And to your point, David, that can come from many different ways. There's not one way in which people can find that that spiritual brings us beautifully back to this physical intelligence. Yes. Fourth angle, because that's what that that is about. There's a lot of work, as you will know, there's a lot of research, a lot of great material about presence in the workplace. So this groundedness, this physical aspect of how do I ground myself 
is so important. And so you, you, know, you mentioned a few practices there. It could be as simple as taking a breath and bringing yourself presence. There's a great book called, I think it's just called Work by the Zen Buddhist who died recently, Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. I think he just calls it Work. But in that, it gives an example of numerous practices that you can actually do in the workplaces just to bring yourself present. So actually, there's that physical thing. So even, for example, he says, if you're about to answer your cell phone or mobile phone, as we call them in the UK, take a few breaths before you actually press. Don't just grab it and click the answer. Yes. Take a couple of breaths and then just answer it. So then you're actually, you're in your body then. You're actually present with the person mm-hmm. who's in the call. Same as he's saying, if you're walking, you now people are back at work. If you're walking to a meeting, walk mindfully. Allow an extra five minutes, walk mindfully. I can see you taking a breath there, Sal, you get it. Mm -hmm. And so you arrive in a place, instead of dashing between meetings, dragging out papers, do some, as you said, that intent, be mindful about what you're doing, because that then honours the people that with, and it honours yourself as well. I was really interested in exploring the topic of unconscious bias this season, and that's why I brought in the expert, Dr. Amy Tolbert, And we focused on how leaders can move from unconscious bias to intentional inclusion. Amy, when it comes to intentional inclusion and minimizing unconscious bias in the workplace, what can leaders do to create that healthier environment? Unconscious bias is just part of who we are. And interestingly enough, we don't know what we don't know. So the best thing, I was never as smart as I was when I was 18. So the best thing we can do (laughs) is get outside of our comfort zone and get comfortable with being uncomfortable and completely curious about the world around us because curiosity and judgment cannot reside together in the brain. Beverly Wright joined me to talk about how to bring more humanity back into the workplace. Beverly is a former technology executive and a recent inductee into the Thinkers 50. Beverly, what's your take on what leaders can do to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace? I think there are a couple of things. One is to be intentional about that's what they really want to do and have people know that that's they're on a mission to do that. And then two is to listen, you know, look for people that are different than they are in all kinds of ways and listen. I think that's another skill that all of us could continue to work on is just better listening. Ask good questions and then just listen. And I think you'll get the answers that you're looking for. I had a very special episode this season on psychological safety with Amy Edmondson. Amy Edmondson is the world-renowned expert on psychological safety. If you've heard of that term, psychological safety, it's because she put it on the map. Amy is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at the Harvard Business School, and she was recently recognized by the biannuals Thinkers 50 as the number one management thinker in 2021. Amy, you talk about some common misconceptions around psychological safety. Love to hear what your point of view is here. Well, probably my least favorite is being nice that I've seen blogs or just comments online where people are saying, oh, yeah, 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 but it's unrealistic, you know, that being nice to each other isn't isn't really the point. 
that's not what psychological safety is. Being nice is often code for not being direct, right? Not being mm. But probably the biggest misconception is that it's one and the same as job security, which job security is a whole topic that we could get into, but psychological safety is not the same as job security. Job security is a guarantee that you can't lose this job. Psychological safety is a belief that your voice is welcome in this job. And so I think there are some you know, executives who hear about psychological safety and think, gee, I'd love to have a more of a learning organization, but I'm not going to guarantee everybody, you know, lifetime employment here. Two different things, right? That I believe you need to do what you can to convey that everyone's brains and voices are welcome here, but you cannot guarantee future employment in volatile, fast-changing industries uh, for yes. the most part. However, you know, if people are speaking up and leaning in and fully engaged in the work, the chances are pretty good that they'll be keeping those jobs and that you'll be keeping those customers. I met with thought leader Simon Severino in December to talk about creating an agile organization in times of uncertainty. The intent here was to provide some practical tools on how leaders and organizations can prepare for more uncertainty in the coming year. You and I are recording this on December 1st, 2022. There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. There's a lot of talk about recession. We've seen layoffs at many large tech companies and beyond. What's your sense of how leaders, CEOs are thinking now or should be thinking in the face of this level of uncertainty? February this year, I wrote a book on how to run an agile business. And agile strategy sprints. Yes, it's called yeah. strategy sprints. Thank yeah. you. And agile means you are built in a way that you can respond quick to stuff that happens. So outside supply chain breaks, you can you are able to respond in the same velocity. Then you are agile. You are able to respond and you need much longer time. You are rigid. That's the difference. You're agile yes. when you can respond to stuff in the same velocity that it happens. If not, you are rigid. And you don't want to be rigid in those times. You want yeah. to be agile because that means a higher fit. If you remember Darwin's survival of the fittest, the fittest is not the strongest or the biggest. The fittest is the one that has the highest fit. And fit means it changes, you can change. It stays the same, you can stay the same. That's the fit. It's literally the fit between you and the environment. An environment for every organization is, of course, the markets. So your users, your clients, the people you are here to serve, both externally and internally. That's the environment. So that's why fit is the most important thing. And in fit, it's about learning, the velocity of learning. How much can we learn about the people we are here to serve? Can we know them a little bit better? Can we hear what they need a little bit faster than our competitors? That's a good strategy. Right? Yeah. To be so connected, to listen well, and to see the weak signals so that you can start already delivering on them, that's the best fit. And you do that by building an organization that is like Lego, not like Duplo. Mm. So if you don't have kids, I have to explain. 
Legos I've got two part. yard kits, so I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. But yes. let's let's explain it for our listeners. Yes. So if you have a Lego cowboy, with that Lego cowboy, you can rebuild that cowboy into a house, into a car, into a pool. But if you have a Duplo cowboy, that's just a cowboy. That's it. Mm -hmm. Can't do nothing else because it's just one big piece. But Lego is small pieces. And so if you are built in small pieces, you can now rebuild, regroup, adapt, yeah. evolve. That's why you want to be built in very small pieces. And in the last episode, we kicked off 2023 with a solo episode by me on how to create your best year yet. In this episode, we walked through the key steps in our ultimate goal setting guide, which you can download for free on our episode page on our website at www.512solutions.com. The number is 512solutions.com. The episode was about charting the course for the year ahead and becoming the architect of your life. I don't believe much in resolutions. This is really about looking forward, resetting, thinking about your new year with intention and purpose, and ultimately becoming the architect of your life. My wife and I and in-laws were watching a movie last night with George Clooney and Julia Roberts called Ticket to Paradise. And there's a line in the movie that really stood out to me. The line was, why save the good stuff for later? Why save the good stuff for later? Well, to me, that's part of what this process is about. It's about taking a step back as we look to the new year and thinking about what we want to create individually, personally, professionally, financially, from a health standpoint. And so today we've got a framework for you, a framework to do that, to just look at your life, to step back and say, where am I waiting to do the good stuff? Where am I waiting to, on the good stuff? How can I bring that into my life today so that I can live a life full of intention and purpose and truly architect what it is that I want to create? Here are the steps that we're going to be following. Number one, we'll be looking at your starting point. That's step one. Number two, We'll be looking at your vision or your guiding principles for the coming year or years. Step number three, embrace a bold and audacious attitude. Step number four, establish your goals. Step number five, create your personal action plan. Step number six, build support and accountability. Start with the current state. Where are you today? Think about those guiding principles. What factors will really help me decide and make the right choices for where I want to go in life. Number three, embrace that bold and audacious attitude. Think bigger, think longer, think about what you can achieve, not what you can't achieve. Step number four, create those goals. Step number five, create a personal action plan, the details that will chunk out the goals so that you can break down that big and audacious goal into something that's more manageable and achievable. And then finally, put the support structure in place to help keep you accountable and focused throughout the year. Start putting those goals together and architect a year that will help you not put off the good stuff, but help you live a life that's most important to you 
with the people who are most important to you and in a way that's most important to you. Thank you for joining me today and throughout all of season five. Please take a moment to provide a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. That always helps. I appreciate it very much. We'll be back with season six this spring with more amazing people and more amazing content. And we have a ton of resources on our website to help you transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders who are prepared for the future. You can find those resources at 512solutions.com. Check out our Future of Leadership podcast and blog page. I look forward to reconnecting again soon. I'm out.